Editor's Preface to A Jewish State by Theodore Herzl, translated by Sylvie Avigdor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Although proportionally heretofore but little read or studied, the pages that follow this introduction will eventually occupy a noteworthy place in Jewish and universal history. Whilst the author, Dr. Theodore Herzl, was confessedly not moved by the novelty of the Jewish state idea, yet he was in the main unconscious in the winter of 1895 of the parentage of his thoughts, for those who laboured before him, excepting George Eliot, were comparatively obscure and their words had only found acceptance amongst eclectic bands of enthusiasts in Eastern Europe. It is, however, curious that although argumentative, polemical, or enthusiastic, none of the forerunners of the Jewish state were, in the real sense, visionaries. And this brochure is only grandiose in the simplicity of its presentation of an idea, and historic by what its publication has already achieved. Although the Jewish state idea may be utopian, which its advocates deny, its author sketched no utopia, and offers no picture of an ideal human future. It was sufficient for him to point out how the wounds of Israel might be healed, and to remove the chafing which the conjunction of Jew and anti-Semite brings about. He offered a temporal and not a spiritual salvation to a suffering people, though those who regard him as thereby doing an allotted task towards the destiny divinely decreed are not without reasonable justification for their opinion. The Jewish position became so critical in 1890 that Baron de Hirsch thought out his Argentine plans and began founding his colonies in the pampas-grass districts of the Spanish-American Republic in order to aid the Jews to remove themselves from persecuted countries. The rise of Alvart in Germany, the break-up of the Liberal Party in Austria, and the particular success of the anti-Semitic factions in Vienna, the trial and sentence of Dreyfus in Paris, and the immediate lowering of the position of the Jews in France which followed, and for which Drummond had laboured partially the failure of the Argentine experiments. These facts, and others of lesser and a greater degree, will mark out the first half of the last decade of the nineteenth century as black years in Jewish history. It was seeing and hearing these things, as an observer rather than as a participant, that Theodor Herzl came to the Jewish people with an odd thought. We are a people, one people and an old corollary, the restoration of the Jewish state, unaware that, except in a vague way, there was at least fifteen years of active work and some propaganda behind him. Fearful, perhaps, of being regarded as a visionary, he vaguely designated the future Jewish state simply as over there, and over there it undoubtedly would have remained had not the Jewish state responded to a thought definite and concise, long pent up in Jewish bosoms. 
over there must be Palestine. Herzl, as a cool thinker, argued that the propelling force needed to create a Jewish state exists in the misery of the Jews. The volume of that misery is unmistakable, but his book was taken up by and his following was created out of an element who, though in close touch with misery, often the actual sufferers, found within themselves a still greater motive power to national restoration than misery, to wit, love, faith, and hope, a bundle of emotions wrapped up in the praying shawl of the Jew, and these, when spread out, make up a flag which can only float on the breezes of Zion. This Jewish state, therefore, went through such violent natal sufferings as only great ideas suffer. The very fact that on this vision of a Jewish state other visionaries wrote, yet a more cloudy word, Palestine was sufficient to condemn it in the eyes of most Western Jews. They had from the beginning of the century, in the endeavour to reconcile old Judaism with modern life, passed through several phases, sometimes concurrently, sometimes separated and distinct from each other, spirituality, assimilation, and science. Judaism is again being reduced to knowledge, in all of which the Palestinian and the one-people theories were absent, obliterated, and often forgotten. The Jew had become a religious community, and Judaism a religion with an extensive ritual. As a Western Jew, Herzl was a freak. His book, except as the dream of an idle moment, intolerable, and as a political suggestion, unthinkable and absurd. A popular verdict was that it was an egregious blunder, notwithstanding which the masses being brought into touch with the author listened and approved. For the first time in modern history, the Jewish masses, it was the first opportunity given them, began to move of their own accord. And the author of a political plan became, in a day and a night, the leader of a Jewish party, which decided to use modern methods to obtain their goal, Palestine. Rabbis might proclaim every city as Zion. The rich might frown and refuse support. The modern Zionist movement leapt full-bodied into being, and asserted its existence six months after the author had spoken face to face with the poor and lowly, who offered him at once their loyalty and their enthusiasm, and who, linking his profession as writer to his doctrine as Jew, regarded him as a new Ezra. Dr. David Kaufman, in his notable criticism of Daniel Deronda in 1879, observed, Feelings and sentiments which are worthy to be cherished and preserved in the nation's soul against all the influences of time are wont to concentrate themselves in great personalities, and to impart to them a power of attraction for which moderation and half-heartedness fly like leaves before a storm. The history of Israel presents a number of such figures. 
Ezra and Nehemiah succeeded to the prophets of the captivity. John of Giscala stands before Judas Maccabeus. Akiba ben Joseph defends the star son of Bethar, and even through the darkness of the Middle Ages, the fiery pillar of Yehuda ben Levi gleams forth. Shall we some day be able to say, and so on? The Jewish masses, whose greatness is that they have miraculously conserved an ideal, answered this question by their acclaiming Theodore Herzl as leader of the Jewish national movement. And from the time he was so acclaimed, the Jewish state had ceased to be a paper plan. Indeed, the brochure had no circulation commensurate with its effect, but it had made a page of Jewish history. Between the printed word and its objective are eight remarkable years of history. The story of the uniting of the elements of the diaspora, the creation of a Jewish public opinion, the organization of unwieldy and wildly separated masses, largely ignorant of the methods of modern political life, political negotiations, and finally political recognition by the great powers of the loyalty, utility, and representative character of the movement. It is the story of another exodus with Israel still in the wilderness. Those who read the Jewish state on its first appearance either rejected its teachings or accepted them in the eye of hope. Those who will now read it for the first time will probably be guided by the answer that is given to the question, what has been accomplished in the direction of a Jewish state since this book, for which a Nietzschean history is claimed, first appeared? And it is because of that question that this preface has been written. A brief chronological table will supply the outline of the answer. 1896, April. Publication of English edition of Jewish State. 1896, June. Dr. Herzl visits Constantinople. On return journey received at Sofia a deputation of Bulgarian Jews. 1896, July. Dr. Herzl addresses East London Mass Meeting. 1897, January. Founding of Zionist organ, Die Welt. 1897, February. Proposal to call Congress in Munich. Rabbis protest. 1897, March. Zionist Congress convened at Basel. 1897, August. First Zionist Congress held, at which the national platform was adopted. Quote, the aim of Zionism is to create for the Jewish people a publicly, legally assured home in Palestine. In order to attain this, the Congress adopts the following means. 1. To promote the settlement in Palestine of Jewish agriculturalists, handicraftsmen, industrialists, and those following professions. 2. The centralization of the entire Jewish people by means of general institutions, agreeably to the laws of the land. 3. To strengthen Jewish sentiments and national self-consciousness. 4. To obtain the sanction of governments to the carrying out of the objects of Zionism. Unquote. 1898, August. 
Second Zionist Congress held, at which it is resolved to found Zionist Bank. 1898 November Dr. Herzl and Zionist Deputation received by the German Emperor at Jerusalem. 1899 August Third Zionist Congress held. 1900 August Fourth Zionist Congress held in London, and stability of trust as a banking concern assured. 1901 May Dr. Herzl repeatedly received in audience by the Sultan of Turkey. 1901 December Fifth Zionist Congress held. Scheme of organization remodelled and Jewish National Fund founded. 1902 January Dr. Herzl again received in audience by Sultan of Turkey. 1902 August Dr. Herzl appears as witness before British Royal Commission on Alien Immigration. 1902 August, Dr. Herzl again received in audience by Sultan of Turkey. 1903 January, British Government offer and an expedition is sent to El Arish on the Egyptian border of Palestine. 1903 July, Dr. Herzl received by M. von Plover and M. de Witt on behalf of the Russian government. 1903 August, 6th Zionist Congress held, and offer from the British government to permit a Jewish national settlement in British East Africa. 1904 February, Dr. Herzl received in audience by the King of Italy and the Pope. Even in the bald form of a chronological table, it is evident that the record of those who hearken to the Jewish state idea is a notable one, sufficient to claim the sympathy and support of every Jew and Jewess. The book was moulded into the platform of 1897, in the framing of which more than one cautious brain had a share. And in turn the question arises in how far has the question become a living fact? A comparison of these facts and the author's idea will show that, in as far as he shaped the movement, he was most tenacious of his ideas. The work has proceeded much on the lines he suggested, as perhaps by reason of their simplicity, for much that has made the Zionist movement grow up and around him. Those who joined Theodore Herzl in the effort to realise his plan brought with them the instincts, hopes and desires of the Jewish people, thoughts and ideals red with the blood that gave them birth, truer and more significant of that which is eternal in each people than all the study in the schoolroom can suggest. A stupendous work awaited those who proclaimed Palestine, as the third part of the thought, one people, national Jewish restoration. Only the one more rudimentary scheme of organization was established in 1897, yet it called forth so much enthusiasm that it has been twice revised in accordance with growing needs of a movement that actually circles the globe, an organization which is at once centripetal and centrifugal, and yet has in each country to correspond with the social customs of the people and keep within the laws that restrict international 
and even national organization in Eastern Europe. Here alone is a task for a generation, and room for the brains of the most able organizers. Yet all the rough work has been done, and the second clause of the program has been fulfilled at comparatively no expense. The self-volition of the movement checked the assimilative thought, and revived the Jewish Brotherhood idea. The bent back of the Jew grew straight in the presence of the Jewish flag. A new poetry, and a new prosody, deep with the feelings that stir a people, have arisen. A school of young artists have given themselves over to the creation of a Jewish art. Others have planned an international Jewish university. A cultural movement, combated for the time by the more orthodox, has spread so strongly as sometimes to shake the main movement from its true centre. The Hebrew tongue has found need and occasion to bloom into a living language, and with the national intellectual renaissance, which sweeps within itself the revival of conservative Jewish thought, which is the prescient phase of American Jewish life, has come a desire for the development of the physical powers of the Jews, so that Jewish gymnasiums and Jewish gymnastic journals exist, to the surprise of all those who know the Jew only as a brainy creature. The thousand facets of a national movement have sent rays of light, of hope, and of a new sense of security into the lives of an erstwhile broken and dispirited people. In eight short years, helpless masses have been so well taught how human effort can accomplish great things, that they have rejected the possibilities of immediate aid, in favour of the task of striving for independent movement. A distracted and divided people have been so well instructed in the thought that the unity of Israel is greater than all the differing religious, social, economic and political views of the individuals who make up a nation, that the rabbis of Eastern Europe have entered into full force into the vanguard of the movement. The third clause of the program has been literally fulfilled, though much remains to be done. Palestine has not been repeopled. The settlement of colonists has been checked rather than assisted, because the condition of settlement is governed by the preamble of the platform. Nevertheless, a new spirit has manifested itself in Palestine, as well as in the minds of those who have dealt with the practical administration of the colonies, and a Zionist bank has been started in Jaffa, which is already giving an impetus to Palestinian trade. That which interests the majority who would like to weld all the details into broad achievement is contained in the fourth paragraph. The sanction of the governments has been gradually obtained. The German emperor was the first to express his benevolent attitude. French and English ministers have listened with sympathy. The king of Italy has approved. The pope has discussed. The sultan of Turkey has repeatedly sent for Dr. Herzl. The negotiations were inconclusive, but since the last known phase of the Constantinople poor parleys, the British and Russian governments publicly recognized Zionism, and the latter offered to assist in the Palestinian negotiations when resumed. From paper plan to this stage is a remarkable achievement in eight years, 
and the strongest opponent of the cause, the London Jewish Chronicle, affirmed in September 1903 that in its opinion, quote, the creation of a Jewish state in Palestine is now the settled policy of European statesmen who are dealing with the Near Eastern question. Unquote. Far be it from one who has abiding faith in the Jewish democracy to ascribe all things to one man and one book. The living element in a people has forced an old thought upon a new world. And such an element, ever young in its hopes and effort, will continue to force upon it the consciousness of an ever new world, until one generation shall witness the triumph of this idea. Theodore Herzl revived and reorganized the Jewish people. This is his achievement and the message of his book. It caught its echoes from the ages that preceded its writing and it will ring on into newborn days in an ever-accumulating volume of sound. The message is the union of Israel and Zion. Since the foregoing was written, Theodore Herzl, man and leader, has passed away, and this publication of his first Zionist writing becomes a tribute to his memory. His death has proved his life's work, he built beyond himself, and his demise is but a consecration and a sanctification of Zionism. The manner of the man, the life he led, all this is written elsewhere. In these pages will be found, as it were, his testament, his thought modified by the conditions of the nationalization, and it is the thought, the hope, the regenerative idea which is Theodore Herzl's bequest to Israel. Jacob de Haas, New York, 25 Tammuz, 5664. End of the Editor's Preface